right. It's good to see everybody. It is nice to be together. I like to see faces. So thank you, thank you. I want to start with a little imagination scenario. I want you to imagine that you are living in the land of Israel. Prior to the time of Jesus Christ, you're a Hebrew, you're married, and you long for a family. And so for months now, you have been praying to Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of your people, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for a child. But no child. Recently, a neighbor of yours has been recommending that you head down to the nearest Asherah pole and uh, make a sacrifice to Asherah, the Canaanite goddess of fertility. And she will give you a baby. That's what she does. Now, your neighbor says, I'm not recommending that you stop worshiping Yahweh. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you just add to it. Because Yahweh gives you stuff, but if he's not giving you you know, he's not answering your prayers on your timetable or you've got options. Now, you and your spouse have resisted this advice now for a while because Yahweh requires uh, fidelity. And he says, you shouldn't have any other gods besides me. And I want you to worship me alone. Put all your eggs in one basket. Trust me to satisfy you and take care of you. But as the months stack up with no baby, you find your mind thinking more and more about Asherah and the possibility of getting your desire met in another way. I want to talk today about the sin of idolatry. And I want to move past the conception of idolatry as bowing down before an idol, uh, offering a food sacrifice to a statue, although that is happening all around the world even today. I was in India last year, hundreds of millions of people are caught up in that kind of idolatry. Looks just like it did in the Old Testament. The Bible speaks against that. But I want to talk about the heart behind idolatry. I want to talk about what I call the idolatrous impulse, because I think that's what Americans are tempted with. That's what Christians get caught up in. So what is the idolatrous impulse? Here it is. It is elevating a created thing, whether it's a person or, or an object or a you know, power or position. Uh, it is elevating a created thing to the position of the ultimate, to the essential position. And only, because that's the position that only God should occupy. The very first commandment in the Ten Commandments reads this, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment is you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God demands that he alone 
be the essential to us. So what then is the proper relationship to have with the created world? And here it is. We are to enjoy the created world as a gift from God, but not let it become uh, overly capture our attention, our affection, or become dependent upon it. The Apostle Paul in Romans talks about how idols are formed. Romans chapter 1 is a key text on idolatry in the New Testament. Here's what Paul says, starting in verse 22 of chapter 1. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And here it is. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. God designed us to worship and serve him alone. We worship what we value and we serve what we think can take care of us. And God wants us to look to him alone to meet our needs and satisfy our desires. Did my battery die? Nope, I'm on. I'm on. Job is an excellent example of what we should be like. Because the danger is this. The danger is that we, we invert things. We invert the created, uh, the, the design. And rather than looking to God and worshiping and serving him, all of a sudden we begin to worship and serve the creature rather than creator. And here's how I think it goes. I think it starts like this. Uh, imagine Adam when he first got Eve. And I think that when he first got Eve, he was like, God, you're amazing. She is such a gift. I'm enjoying her, and uh, you are satisfying me through her. You're taking care of me through her. Thank you, God. But I think something happens over time. And our eyes go off the gift giver, and they go on to the gift, and then Adam starts to say, Eve. Eve is satisfying me. Eve is taking care of me. And whenever we make that switch to where we think that the created thing is the thing that we need to be satisfied and the thing that we need to take care of us, then we begin to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. So the correct relationship with the natural world is we view the creation, people and things, as tools that God uses to satisfy and take care of us. We enjoy them, but we hold them loosely and don't let them displace God in our hearts as the one essential. So Job. Job is the perfect example for us to follow. Job, when his children were taken away, his wealth was taken away, and his physical health was taken away, because his kids were all killed, his wealth was completely wiped out, he ended up with boils on his body. Job says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Of course, Job grieved the loss of his kids. He's human. Of course, he grieved the loss of the kids and the loss of his wealth and his own physical health. He was in, he was in pain. But he had never allowed the, the gifts to displace the giver. He had always kept God as the one essential. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. The gifts never became essential to him. Now, his wife, on the other hand, she had allowed the gifts of God to become essential to her. She had lifted them up. She had begun to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. So what happens when the gifts are taken away? Here's what she says. Then his wife said to him, chapter 2, verse 9, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. She could not imagine life without the gifts. The gifts had become essential to her. The gifts had displaced the gift giver in her affection and in her dependency. Even good things can become idols if we give them uh, the wrong place in our hearts. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women who would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So God often satisfies us through people and things and and jobs and, and fishing, right? He often satisfies us through his created world. He often takes care of us through his created world. But we need to be careful not to uh, forget that it is God satisfying and caring for us through his created world. The New Testament warns us a lot about um, inordinate desire. uh, Caring too much, desiring too much for the things of this world. And then that desire spiraling out of control and and becoming uh, idolatrous. And so the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, cautions us about uh, becoming overly in love with the things of this world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And here it is. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Don't let the temporary things captivate your heart or be the crutch upon which you are leaning The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Idolatry has always been a problem for the people of God from the beginning. Uh, It was a, a key sin in Israel. And the Israelites were not tempted to abandon the worship of Yahweh in favor of the worship of another God. That wasn't what they were tempted to do. It was was the addition of other gods that was the problem. And here's why. 
go back to that opening illustration, right? Worship Yahweh. Yahweh gives you what Yahweh gives you, and, and you'll, you know, he's doing something for you. But if he's not satisfying you and taking care of you the way you want to be taken care of, you have options. And remember, this, is, this, was, this was not crazy thinking. This is the way everybody on the planet thought. They believed that there were multiple gods, and those gods would give you uh, things if you worship them. So the temptation was you worship Yahweh, and if Yahweh is not giving you what you want to need on your timetable, you have options. And so you go worship Asherah or Baal or Chemosh, and, and they'll give you what they give you. And so you are sort of seated at the smorgasbord of the gods, ordering up the life that you want. Ooh, I want a baby. I've asked Yahweh, not giving it to me. Boom, I'm going to head down to Asherah. I want success in my job. Uh, God's not, you know, Yahweh's not answering that the way I want, but Baal will. See? The allure of idolatry is control. I'm in charge. And I get to order up the life that I want. I'll cobble together the, the good life. And I'm in control. That's, that's the attraction. The antidote to idolatry is trust. And so here's what God calls us to. God says... You bring your desires to me. You bring your needs to me and to no one else. And so you come to me and because we have desires, right? Oh, yes, we do. Strong, passionate desires. We have needs. And God says, you cast your cares upon me for I care for you. So we go to the Lord and we say, God, I want boom. <laughs> I need boom. Please, Lord. And we cast our cares upon the Lord we share with him what's really going on in our hearts and minds. And then what? Then we let go. We let go. And we trust that he will take care of us according to his great wisdom and his great power. But anyone who has ever done this will tell you God does not run our lives the way we would want him to. He does not necessarily uh, think that we need what we think we need. And so the, the fact of the matter is, God might not give you the baby. He might not heal you physically. He might not give your job the success that you thought you should have, and on and on. God might not, he probably won't run our lives the way we think he should run our lives. And whenever that happens, I've, Lord, I've told you what I need. I've told you what I want. And you're not doing it on my timetable in the way that I expect. We have a crisis, don't we? Or rather, we have a choice in those moments. And the choice is whether or not we are going to trust God and wait and accept his decision. Those prayers do not go unheard. They go answered. They just go answered according to God's good plan. And my, my, what I have to decide is, am I going to rest, trust, and let God be the driver of my life? 
And there are always other gods out there saying, just come over here. I'll give you what you want. Four questions we can ask ourselves to uncover idols in our lives. The first question is this. Is there anything in my life that if it were taken away would rob me of my will to live? If my child were taken out, if I lost my marriage, my health were removed, if my job came down, is there something in your life that if it were taken away, like Job's wife, you would say, die. I just want to die. That can often, ask that question and what comes to mind, that might reveal that you've got an idol, that you are overly uh, enamored with or overly dependent on something in the created world and, and you've given it all, uh, an essential place in your mind and heart. Second question to ask is, what is my nightmare? What caused me to break out in sweat? Right? It, maybe it's the secret sin that you have becoming public or something you've done in your past, your, your reputation being destroyed. What is that thing that gives you, you know, just makes you break out in a sweat? That might indicate that you're overly committed to something, that you've got an idol. Third question to ask, um, where do I go when I'm under pressure? Where do I turn? Am I turning to God or am I turning to a person, or uh, alcohol, drugs, an affair, pleasure? Where do I turn when the pressure's on? <clears throat> Noticing what comes out of you when the pressure's on is very good. You know, like a ketchup bottle. You squeeze the ketchup bottle, what's inside comes out. Uh, when we're under pressure, what's on the inside comes out. I, I definitely saw this when I first got married. And if you had interviewed me at age 25, hello, Michael, how do you feel about yourself? I would have said, I'm very well put together. I don't struggle with control. I don't feel the need to control people. I'm not easily angered. I'm very peaceable. I don't try to manipulate. Uh, six months later, interview me. And the pressure of living with another person who had her, has her own will and needs and desires. And she's right there and she's wonderful. Thank you. But... The pressure of marriage squeezed me and out came, yuck. And I realized I'm insecure. I'm prone to anger. I will manipulate. I, ha I want to control. And bleh, right? What was on the inside comes out and it wasn't pretty. Uh, and fortunately, I invited God into that. And it wasn't immediate, it, you know, but the Lord began to work on that. And I like to think 22 years later that I'm, a sweeter guy to, to live with. Not perfect, but a sweeter guy. So notice, when you're under pressure, man, notice what's coming out. And what's it, what is it revealing about what you really value, what you depend on? Uh, and, you know, for me, when I get angry, I, I like to diagnose that. Look, you know, why am I so upset about this? Why does this cause me such anxiety or fear Fourth question to ask is, why this particular sin? When you are tempted to sin, ask why. Why am I tempted to lie in this situation as opposed to another situation? 
what is it revealing about what I really value, what I depend on? It's, this is especially the case if you've got a habitual sin, like there's a sin stronghold in your life. You've got to diagnose it. You've got to look underneath the sin and uh, what's happening. Martin Luther says that underneath every sin is an idol because at, at a minimum in the moment, you are saying something is more important to you than obeying God. It's the pleasure of, or it's being right or it's retaining your reputation, right? But in the moment, when you, say, when you choose to lie, because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and dwelt with the Holy Spirit, almost certainly the Spirit of God checks you in that moment, right? Before you blow past that still small voice. And you then choose to do what's wrong. And why? Because in the moment, some, something is more important to you than than God. And so it's, it's good to look at that and see if, if an idol has been erected. The Apostle John ends his first letter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. He ends it with this, little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the this is the verse that's been tumbling around in my head this week. Mike, keep yourselves, keep yourself from idols. How do I do that? Well, you've got to identify the idol for sure. But here's, here is a very important way to keep yourself from idols. Are you ready? Play life within the boundaries. God gives us clear boundaries in which to do life. And he, he so kindly has identified the out of bounds. Now, God does not demand that we only pray and then do nothing to get satisfaction and our, and our needs met. He's, he's totally okay with go into my created world and try to find satisfaction and try to and get your needs met. But when we play in bounds then it is God who is satisfying us and meeting our needs through his created world. But whenever we go out of bounds, then we are not trusting in God. It's not God meeting, satisfying us and meeting our needs. It's us looking to another God. Because God's not in that. Okay, so another marriage illustration. I saw this at work <laughs> in my life in the, in the first few years of marriage for sure so so get married there are many things that I deeply desire that only Sabrina can give me permission to go fishing coming with me right to go hunting whatever it is uh, approval there were, there were all of a sudden I had these deep desires that only Sabrina could say yes to or or satisfy and so I, I could see, you know, what I wanted. And then I, it was like I could see the, the roadmap to get from here to there. If I would pout, lie, get angry, right? Pull some lever that was out of bounds. It was sinful. God had specifically told me in the Bible, you can't do that. But I could see that if I just did that, I could get what I wanted. 
You know what I'm talking about? It just looked, it looked like a direct line. Do that, and then I'll get what I want. And I really, really, really wanted, you know, what, what I wanted. And there was that strong, strong temptation. Sometimes I felt like, well, oftentimes, I felt like I was just having to wrestle myself to the ground to just say, I'm not going to do that. That's sin, and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to only pursue getting what I want from Sabrina in bounds. And, and you know what? I often didn't get what I wanted in the short run. But usually the Lord would show me how over time I would see how playing in bounds got me what I really wanted, which is affection, love, respect. I could have played out of bounds, gotten what I wanted in the short run, but what would it have done to her heart, right? She wouldn't have felt the same way about me. It would have eroded trust and all kinds of things. So, Go, you know, go after satisfaction. Go after getting your needs met, but do it in bounds because then you know that it's God who's taking care of you. Well, why don't you, if you don't mind, bow your head, close your eyes because this is time with, between you and God and I want you to be undistracted. And I'm going to ask the four questions and I'd like you to wrestle with it. God is with us. If you want to knock down idols, he's right there, and he will help. And if you're a Christian and dwell with the Spirit, he'll, he'll help you answer these questions. Number one, is there anything I cannot live without? Is God revealing something to you? And will you say, God, even if that were to be taken out of my life, you are enough. Second question, what's your worst nightmare? Picture it. And then say to the Lord, even if that were to happen, I trust that you would take me, take care of me, you would see me through it. Third question, where are you turning in time of trouble? And is it substituting for trusting the Lord? And will you pre-commit, Lord, the next time I find myself in trouble, I'm not, I'm not going to turn there. I'm going to turn to you. Final question, why this sin? Especially if you've got a habitual sin. Identifying what, what is it, at, what's the root of it? And say, Lord, I'm going to, I want to replace a commitment to you, a value of you, 
more than that. It might be that you are convicted that you have been trying you have been seeking satisfaction by playing outside God's boundaries. And you, you haven't been trusting him. Really, you haven't been really trusting him to satisfy and care for you. And say, God, I, I am going to limit myself to playing inbounds. No, I might not get what I want in the moment, but I'll get what's truly best for me. Lord, we don't want idols in our lives. We want to be f- faithful to you, to worship you alone. Help us to do that this week. Empowered by your spirit, enlightened by the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.